find a property. And while you're trying to find that property to buy, you should also be networking with a lot of people that are either going to help you manage the property, people that might invest with you. So, you know, you're just looking for those partnerships and the two kind of go in tandem. You're not going to find a property tomorrow. So you have time while you're looking for the property to also build up your team. What can you bring to that partnership and what can a partner bring to help you be more successful? Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello, Abel Pacheco here, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We are super excited today because we have an amazing guest, Mr. Steve Breton. Steve, this is going to be an amazing show, man. You have so much value, so much insight and wisdom to deliver our listeners and guests or viewers now if you're on Facebook or watching this on YouTube. So we just want to say thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. Thrilled. Yeah, we're excited. So I first ran into Steve, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, at least over a year and a half ago, when we were still meeting in person uh, right. at these live events in Center Mass. I, I can't remember which city it was, maybe Baltimore or LA or maybe both, Steve, but I got to get a little bit into your world and you know, heard what you were doing, saw what you accomplished while working at your W-2 full-time job. It resonated with me because I'm in tech mm-hmm. or I was in tech also, and I know you had a background in it. And yeah. when I heard that you just, you know, were able to acquire 1,200 doors, 140 units, I'm sorry, $140 million worth of commercial real estate. So over 1,200 doors of, of multifamily apartment complexes as an active investor, well, that's a founder, as a founder for Velocity Capital. And then starting out, you were a passive investor. So you've invested in like double digit numbers, like 10 something passive investments and all in, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that you have a piece of. And it was just an amazing story. So if you are near a pen and a piece of paper, I would imagine this is going to be a great show to take some notes on, especially when you think about analysis, you know, really the finer details. I was drawn to Steve when he was talking about his underwriting, the way he does comps or the, you know, his analysis process of the deal to make sure that it's the right one for all of his investors. So that's a, probably a good description. And now I have the opportunity to interview him. So I'm appreciative, thankful, humbled. So Steve, let me turn it over to you. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. And man, we'll get into a great conversation. Yeah. So I mean, just you know, quick background is uh, like you said, I was in IT, had a career you know, 20 plus years. It was a great job. Everything was wonderful. And part of that in 2008, my retirement account got a good shellacking with the uh, financial crisis. And then shortly thereafter, we were acquired by a much larger company. And uh, I had to lay some people off. I was worried about being laid off. So the the culmination of where can I invest my money so that I can retire someday? And then 
having the the hit on the the business being purchased and being worried about will I even make it to retirement? Will I have a job that long? Yeah, um, that's when I started thinking. Well, maybe I ought to invest really heavily in real estate because I had already started investing in real estate and was enjoying it. I had a small portfolio here in Boston, but was always thinking in the back of my mind, you know, should I increase that portfolio to the point where it replaces my income? And then I could do you know, real estate, which was really more of a passion for me at that point. So that's what I started to pursue and uh, took a few what years. What year was that? What year was, was that? Oh, man. So 2016 is when I really started getting into the, the idea of I'm going to leave my job. Cool. But I, I invested from like 2012 to 2016 uh, in various you know, projects, the, the portfolio that I had in, in Boston, as well as a lot of passive investments uh, in syndications. So you are investing since 2012 in various things and syndication. So you kind of were a little familiar with the world already. And that's kind of the, the initial the yeah. initial run, I, I would imagine, that got you excited about right. being a little more active. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, 2012 syndications came like, a, like two years in. I had already acquired 16 units uh, locally. And I was managing those. And it was all like duplexes. And it was just a ton of work on top of my full-time job and having children and all that stuff. Yeah. So- when I invested passively in a syndication and realized I was making the same returns without having to do very much work, I immediately started to sell off my other properties and <laughs> everything into syndication. Yeah, that's so awesome. So this, that's funny because so many people ask me all the time, like, uh, well, couldn't I just invest in single families or I'm not ready for commercial or I, I just want to buy a duplex. And here you were, you did buy the duplex. In fact, you bought, mm-hmm. you know, seven, eight of them, 16 total doors. Yeah. Say the part again, what you just said. I think I heard you were making more, <laughs> you, you made more money in commercial real estate in less time is how I heard it. But please, in your yeah. words, so how, the, did, well, how did that so come out? The cash flow was, you know, just a little bit less. But on the back end sale, on the commercial side, I was making certainly easily as much money as I was making when I was selling properties in Boston. Yeah. But I didn't have to self-manage. I didn't have to do all the work with the property management company or anything like that. So it was really a matter of just selecting the right people to work with, uh, the right yeah. sponsors of syndicated real estate. Yeah, that's and awesome. The most important part was you could scale. You, know, you only have so many hours in the day to manage your own properties. But when you're going into syndications, you literally, once you write the check, you're done. You just sit back and collect the, uh, the passive income. And yeah. It's much more uh, passive, almost truly passive. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And so where'd you work? What did you do in tech? Maybe you can describe this and it resonate with somebody, you know, that's our listeners or our yeah. guests. Cause I have a lot of, I have a lot of people that worked at Rackspace that I have a feeling are, you know, maybe watching me from the outskirts, but go ahead. Right. Now there's a ton of people that were in tech that moved into real estate or that at least invest in real estate. Yeah. Um, partly because it's just, you know, it's a good paying career. So you've got people with disposable income, but you also have people that have that sort of technical numbers aptitude. And when they see an apartment complex and, and you go through the business plan with them, it just makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I started off as a programmer. Then I was managing a lot of other folks that were, that were doing the programming. I just found myself more interested in the business aspects of uh, what problem were we trying to solve? Mm-hmm. I realized that not a lot of IT people had the ability to speak that language or, or to translate between the two. So I was able to speak the technical part as well as the business part of it. I went on and got my MBA and then I was managing really the financial uh, portfolio for uh, a large biotech company. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And in the years 2016, was it something specific? Well, you, well, actually, I apologize. You said you let you had to lay a bunch of people off, and then mm-hmm. that was the kick. Was it like a month after that? Did it take you a, a year? <laughs> did you do, yeah. did you work actively while you were exiting, or maybe that transition would be awesome? Here. Right. No, I, I kept working the whole time. I was basically researching and trying to to really get my nerve up to buy larger properties. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, if I'm really going to do the syndication thing, it doesn't work in, in the Northeast because the properties are too expensive here. So I started looking in Texas and other parts of the country where the cash flow is better. But then I got even more nervous because now I'm not there to keep an eye on my property. So how do you, how do, you do that properly? Yeah. That required yeah. more education. And then eventually I hired a mentor to help me to figure all the stuff out. I went to a bunch of conferences and <laughs> it was 2017 by the time I actually launched my business and did the first deal as a general partner, as an active partner. Yeah. Yeah. And even then I partnered with somebody who's, who'd already been doing you know a few of these deals and was much further down the road than I was to make absolute certain that we were doing it correctly and that the friends and family that were trusting me with their investment uh, that were coming along for the ride, yeah. that their money was going to be treated well and there was no risk there. Yeah. A lot of my first investors were friends and family. A lot of people that I talked to were friends and family or coworkers, I, you know, my friends, right? And it takes a bit of nerve to kind of say, hey, I will take, you know, $50,000 kind of minimum investment or a right. hundred or more of someone's life savings and say, I, I know the right thing to do, especially if you've never done it before. And it sounds like you're on a, my exact same path, which was, and I, I didn't want to do my first deal alone. And it sounds like you didn't do that either. Mm-hmm. For for those people that are you know listening right now, they're trying to figure out, well, I want to go do what you know Steve is doing. I want to go buy some apartment complexes or multifamily commercial real estate. I want to take other investors, show them the good returns and figure out how to do that. But I've never done it before. How would you recommend people get started in the business now, you know, having your, you know, your track record that you do? So I do uh, a bit of mentoring myself now. Uh, people come to me and, and they're trying to get into this business or trying to augment their income or just leave their jobs altogether. And what I generally tell them is, you know, if you live in a decent market, if you're living in the Southeast or you know, parts of the country where cash flow is just better, mm-hmm. then find a property. And while you're trying to find that property to buy, you should also be networking with a lot of people that are either going to help you manage the property, people that might invest with you. So you know, you're know, you just looking for those partnerships and the two kind of go in tandem. You're not going to find a property tomorrow. So you have time while you're looking for the property to also build up your team. What can you bring to that partnership and what can a partner bring to help you be more successful? Yeah. Yeah. That's every single one of my deals has partners on it, many multiple partners, and we've been able to acquire you know, a good uh, now 600 doors actively and, and we've invested passively a few, you know, in a few hundred doors. And, you know, there's partnerships on every single, you know, every single deal, which is very different than my single family business, which I did for 10 years. It was me and my wife and we did the work, all of it. I would imagine so much like your duplexes, right? Now, somebody that's listening into this goes, well, shoot, I want to start immediately, but, you know, Steve did 16, you know, doors in single family-ish before he got started. And so did Abel. What, what advice do you give them there? Do you have to go single family to jump to commercial? Is it something you recommend? You know, everybody's got a different philosophy. I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, no, I, I had always, all the research I did was 
majority or, or certainly a good number of people that go single family first end up going into multifamily. <laughs> Whether they go into duplexes or, or three, four, five unit type buildings. And yeah. I, did, I did eventually pick up a six unit building as I was thinking about getting into larger assets as well. And then after a while, it's like they either build out a really large portfolio that they're managing mm-hmm. or they stop because they realize it's not scalable while they have a job yeah. and they'll start going into syndication. Yeah. I immediately skipped a single family knowing that it was just going to lead to multifamily. And once I had you know a small portfolio of multifamily, I realized I, I'm just going to skip that too. I'm going to sell those off and, and go straight into syndication. Yeah. Yeah. I think I stopped at like eight or 10. Full, well, I was full-time W-2, so we're kind of sound similar. Right. You did a bigger one than I did. I hadn't done the six unit, so you were already going commercial. But man, trying to hang with a W-2 job, mm-hmm. I was saying tech, worked at Rackspace Hosting Company. I was a senior director or director of partnerships and sales. And you know, I had some pretty large teams. We were doing $50 million a year in business. And like Monday through Friday, I'm, I'm engaged at work all day long. So then when I get home, it's the side hustle, but this intentional investing for myself was always for freedom, freedom of time. So I have enough money. And then I realized all my nights and weekends were absolutely consumed with mm-hmm. like, you know, looking for my next deal or finding out which way to do it. And then a renter would call and, you know, it, your passive investment became active <laughs> all That's of a sudden, familiar. right? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And to that point, you know, yeah. when you're doing this as a side hustle, yeah, you need that job, right? You still have to support your family. You still have to have it. So that job matters and you want to have the integrity of when you're at that job, you're there. Yeah. You know, you really don't have any choice. Maybe you do a little something at lunch and make a phone call or something, but for the uh, yes. most part, it's put the kids to bed and, and then you're working for three, four hours again. Yeah. Well, you had kids at that time. I guess you were in a different situation. I have my three-year-old and, and one-year-old now, but at the time I was, we didn't have any little ones. So I guess I could grind more hours, but man, right. I couldn't even imagine doing that with my three and my one yeah. back then. I don't think I would have been able to do it. It's all possible. Just a matter of you know, <laughs> how hard do you want to work? How badly do you want it? I love it. How how many kids do you have? I have three boys. What are their ages? Yeah. So now they're you know, late teens. My oldest is 21. My middle one is a freshman year in college now. That's so awesome. So yeah, yeah things man. have definitely moved along since then. But yeah. Um, and I did achieve that time freedom. And that's really the thing. First, I was looking for financial yeah. security. Yeah. Then when I had that with my 16 units, I'm like, okay, even if I got laid off, this yeah, would be enough to help me at least survive, right? To do okay. Yeah. Um, and if I keep the job and, and eventually retired, 16 units would be fine. You know, it's a little additional income. It's nice. But then I moved from, from that financial security piece to saying, well, I want financial freedom. Yeah. I want to be able to do whatever the hell I want to do. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter what that vacation costs. And then looking at it and being like, I just want to make as much money as possible. <laughs> yeah. Not because, you know, not necessarily for the love of money, mm-hmm. uh, but more about what can you do with that money? Yeah. 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 Great vacations. Can you take your family, your friends on? Um, how many, uh, you know, different things, your know, charities or whatever can, can you contribute to? Yeah. Uh, and if you're making that much money the right way with your time freedom, especially now, you know, the idea of, well, I can't go and volunteer at this organization because I have to go make money, right? I have to go to my job or, you know, something that's going to take up your time. Instead, it's like, you know, I just have this business that pretty much runs. I make my own schedule, you know, work whenever I want. 
So if the volunteer hours are X on whatever day it is, I just go. Yeah. Yeah. I deliver food at a, for our local food pantry. And so, you know, on Wednesdays, I just get up at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, walk away from my desk and I go do deliveries. And, you know, I worked into my schedule. It's so easy to do now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, that's amazing. And congratulations on one, the financial freedom, the time freedom. And now, you know, just full circle, like giving back, you know, taking the time, for example, to do this podcast interview so somebody can learn and hear something that maybe sparks a little bit of flame and they can go do it themselves. But then also, you know, and the serving in nonprofits, right? That's that's mm-hmm. a time that, you know, somebody needs to have a little meal and you're helping them, you know, you're helping them with it, especially during the time, you know, 2020 was rough and nice to yeah. see that, man, that congratulations. and, and A lot more need in 2020 for sure. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. You know, that feeling of um, when you're that close to it, like I'm literally knocking on people's doors and handing them grocery bags mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. so grateful. And, you know, half the time it's like, it's a little old lady who, you know, she doesn't have family around anymore. Yeah. And she's yeah. asked me to put the, the groceries in her refrigerator, you know, because she's sort of weak and, and frail. And it's like, wow, you know, I'm, yes. I'm actually truly helping someone here. Yeah. Personal. Yeah. You know, what I love about giving back is, you know, it's, it's a little time, effort, and energy, but what you put into it, the time, effort, and energy, what they get, you mm-hmm. get like, you know, 10x. I don't know if you want to say the 10x at that spot, but yeah. that feeling that, you know, just the the knowing you help somebody else out is far greater than your investment of your right. time. It, it just yeah, feels great, you know? The other part of that is the amount of gratitude that you have for your life and mm-hmm. your ability to do these things. Right. When you're, when you're yeah. engaging with people like that, having those interactions, you're like, wow, I'm, I've got an amazing life. Like, this is incredible that I get to do this and that yeah. I don't need that help, that service that I'm providing. I, I don't have to get that from anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that makes you really feel grateful. And I think, as you know, the more grateful you are, the more good things come. Yeah, absolutely. My wife is watching a series of, uh, or I'm sorry, listening to a series of podcasts right now. And she's telling me every day. And one of them was the study on the most valuable mindset you can have for mm-hmm. your health, your wealth, just all the way around. And she said in the study, you know, all the years, all the hours, all the people, all the stuff, it was the feeling of gratitude. And the, the feeling of gratitude will change, you know, your body, physi- physiology, physically, your emotions, your mindset, and, you know, cures diseases if you're in that spot and just, you know, really helps all the way around with every bit of your life. And that was probably, they said, the number one best attitude you could have that's going to have the most improvement across your life. Right. That's fantastic. (laughs) I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Uh Uh-uh. Neither was I. And I go, you know what? Shoot. Yes, I have gratitude. And I, I, you know, for me, it's like prayer and meditation and thanking the Lord, breakfast, (laughs) lunch, dinner, that kind of stuff. But I don't know if I really set aside the way she said they just prescribed it is even like 10 minutes a day. And put it in a journal, write it down, yep. and keep adding to the same gratitude journal. Every day something new comes up. You know, today is breath in my lungs. Tomorrow it's like sun shining. And next day it's like your beautiful children. Or, you know, today was great. You know, somebody smiled at me uh, as we were passing each other. And you're, you're writing those down. And, you know, anyways, it just kind of goes. So right. these are cool, man. I, I'm a. Uh, Sorry, we got sidetracked. We're not always talking about commercial real estate on our podcast. These are great. These are great. You know, the interesting thing is when you're talking to somebody about a different kind of business, 
Yeah. You don't often get into these sort of conversations. Yeah. 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 Mostly people, this stuff comes up all the time. It does. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was just, we have a little more freedom to to get into whatever we want to. And it's just the entrepreneurial side. And yeah, man. And it's funny because it's coming from a bunch of IT guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I'll take a moment and say, thank you. This has been a great, you know, sidetrack on this side. And I don't know about sidetrack. This is, this has been a good core conversation of what we do and why we do it rather is probably the best way to state it. For commercial real estate, you took a lot of either skills or traits about your work ethic or the analysis that you did, the very careful attentiveness to detail in tech that's a lot of times required to get things absolutely right, you know, for them to work for everybody. And you kind of push that into this analysis, right? We talked earlier on about being a good financial steward for your investors, trying to make sure that they get the right decision. So let's have this conversation. And and I think for the general partners, new general partners that are trying to figure out how to break in or passive investors, if you're thinking about investing, this should be those the, the discussion that you know, you really take some notes on as well about the analysis. Like what is underwriting? What is analysis, Steve? What goes into you determining whether it's a good deal or not? And we'll probably head down this path. Hello, hello. You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? Then I know you're going to appreciate our investor's guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're going to show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part... If you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating. I'm going to give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So on the IT side or in the business front, to be able to manage a portfolio of large projects, you have to have the ability to look at the project that's being proposed. How much is it going to cost? What's the actual value? What are we solving for? And then do some ROI calculations, right? It's going to cost so much in the first couple of years. It's going to cost X amount to maintain it year after year. And what are we saving by doing this? Or how much revenue will it generate? Yes. And so with multifamily, it's the exact same thing. You have to have a business plan. That business plan has to make sense. And so it's looking at, you know, what are your rents are going to be at takeover day one? How -hmm. quickly can you grow those rents if they're below market? What's your strategy for doing renovations? How many renovations can you do per month realistically with the right property management company? What is your plan with expenses? Are you going to charge back water? So it's all the, the same sort of concepts, but you really have to look at every little aspect of, of how are you going to manage that property from day one? And are your plans realistic for that property type for multifamily, whether it's luxury class A or it's like a class C, more blue collar workforce housing? 
you know, they're all going to have a, a nuances in terms of, of how they operate mm-hmm. as well as the market you're in, right? Northeast properties are going to be a lot more expensive to operate compared to properties that are in the Southwest or, or Southeast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, you know, that's the, the general idea of it. You know, a lot of it is really, again, does this business plan make sense for this property, this market, et cetera? And, you know, that, that's where we spend most of our time. Even when I'm mentoring people, it's, you know, we're digging deep into spreadsheets. Uh, the spreadsheet I use has, you know, the entire page is completely full, awesome. full down and yeah. is five, six tabs like that. I know. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be that complex, but if you really want to get granular, that's where it's at. Yeah. When I was doing the analysis on my single family properties, I made my own spreadsheet and yeah, I thought I put everything that... Yeah, put it all in there and they're like, okay, this, I felt pretty good about my spreadsheet because it had right. cash on cash return. It had IRR. I figured out this, you know, crazy calculation of time and value of money, et cetera, et cetera. And it had, you know, my over, overall average return. And I had this nice spreadsheet that was pretty slick. And then I, I moved in a commercial and I go, oh, is this it? It's just longer. It's the first page. And then, <laughs> and my mentor is like, yeah, yeah, use the second tab for the budget. Use the third tab for your overall returns for investors. Use your fourth tab for the amortization schedule. Like, oh my gosh, there's like six yeah. or seven tabs here. <laughs> Partnership splits and preferred returns and <laughs> yeah. your loan information. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to it. It, you know, there's there's a lot in there, and you know, if you knew me from my back my background, you knew I I had an, a sales operations team. I had a pretty amazing crew with Excel documents, print out the numbers. They would they would serve me the data, and we right. would make the decision and, and based off of the data. And now I'm like, oh man, I gotta I gotta source it, find it, put it in there, make sure it works right. But you know, once you get the hang of it, you do it a few times and you get better and better. You mentioned a couple of things though, nuances, right? Class A, class B, class C, market mm-hmm. in the Northeast versus Southwest. And unfortunately, those are the things that take time, effort, and energy and cycles. Like you yeah. never know the problems that are gonna come up, all of them, until you've done a couple of deals in maybe right. either, either of those classes. You may be able to find out more from education and learning from other sources, but like there's something new in every deal, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have properties right now that that we own and we're managing in uh, the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. One of them is south of Atlanta. That one's like two hours south of Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, one's half hour west of Atlanta and one's about 40 minutes north of Atlanta. Yep. All of them operate at different expense ratios. They all have different you know, flavors of, of tenants and, and some of the issues that we have with maintenance or whatever it is. It's all different. And mm-hmm. you don't know until you get in there, you do your due diligence, you walk the property, you look at your rent roll to see what kind of tenants you have, what industry they're in, all that sort of thing. I mean, there's so many moving parts to it. And even with all of that experience, I'm looking at a, um, a property west of Atlanta now. So I'll have all four quadrants. And I'm in the middle of underwriting that this morning, and I still had a ton of questions about, you know, what's the expense ratio going to look like, or what's you know insurance for this part of the town, or, you know, it's just there's so many different variables to to consider. Um, you don't have to have them all perfect uh, up front to make your offer, but eventually you have to get right down to that you know nitty gritty detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, tell you know maybe um, let's talk about it two ways. As a passive investor. 
somebody that's trying to figure out, I, I need to know enough of what's going on so that I know it's a good investment. We'll right. start there and then we'll build a little bit more for like a general partner, right? What are some ways that I can learn more about these nuances between different markets, right? You're talking about one market versus how do I even begin to learn this stuff? That's a really good question. There are some um, statistics. You know, you can go to websites like, I think it's called Data USA or uh, DataUSA.io. Uh, there's the, what is it? The BLS, Department of Labor Statistics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a bunch of things where, where the, the data is already packaged for you, but you can just do searches on things like population growth. You know, yep. That's my number one thing. Uh, why do I like Atlanta? Because everyone from the Northeast is moving to Atlanta or Florida. Um, the population there is booming and so are the jobs. Same with Texas. People are pouring out of California into Texas. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to go invest in the place where everyone's leaving? That just yeah. means your tenants or residents, less demand for your apartments, which means your rents are going to come down eventually. Yep. The opposite is true if you're in a growing market. So that's the first thing as a passive investor. And I still do invest passively on occasion. Whether I'm you know, looking at something for myself or making a passive investment, number one, what's this market look like? And it could just yeah. be a small suburb next to Georgia or next to you know, Austin or Houston, whatever. I'm going to look specifically at that suburb. What's the growth rate of, of their population? What are the jobs within a half hour drive, 45 minute drive? Although I guess now with COVID, that part matters a little bit less. But you want to see what those major drivers are in that market. That's the first one, right? Just simple population. Yeah. Am I investing in the right place? And then getting into the numbers a bit more. As a passive investor, it, it's tough because it takes so much time to learn this stuff. My first few investments, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I knew it, was, about it was based on trust. And yeah. I kind of knew the market because I lived. I was investing in my first deal where I live. So I that like, helps. Okay, I, looks good. Looks good. Yeah. I managed smaller multifamily. So I had a, an idea of what makes at least some sense. But did I really know that, that this person had you know, a great business plan, that this property was definitely in a cash flow. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I, I realized how clueless I really was. I got, I was fortunate because I did choose a really good partner um, to, to invest too. with. <laughs> Say but, it. And most of the time it works out fine. I, I think, you know, 99% yeah. or maybe even more of uh, the sponsors are, are really good people and, and they're doing a good job. Yeah. And I know quite a few of them, you know, so, you know, that choosing the right partner is going to help a lot. What I always um, try to, to convey to people when they're looking to invest passively, it's when you're looking at that deal, ask the partner to show you their underwriting. Mm -hmm. And you know, go on Zoom and do a live, you know, quick review of the underwriting and just yeah. ask a few questions. Ask things like, how much are you raising rents in year one, two, and three? Can you show mm -hmm. me in your P&L you know, those rent raises so that you know that they're not trying to raise them by you know 100% in a year, which would make absolutely yeah. no sense. None. Right? So you just ask them that question and then you let them go to the P&L, they show you where the rent raises are, and you say, well, how do you know you can achieve that rent? Yeah. How do you know you can renovate so many units? In, and they'll tell you their plan. If they've done their homework, if they know what they're talking about, they'll get into, well, the current market rates are you know 900 per month and we're only at 750. And so we're going to go halfway there in year one with rent raises of $75 or whatever. And we're going to renovate three units per month. And we already have a company that, that does those renovations for us. And you know, they'll, they'll be able to give you that, that understanding or help you to understand everything that went into their thought, their thought process around building out that business plan. 
if you ask them the question and, and you get crickets, that's an indication that maybe they didn't do their homework. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but a good partner is going to be really confident in their discussion around their business plan and all the different aspects of it. I agree. Yeah, that's all good insight. So, so for our listeners, there's a couple things, right? I heard the population growth, super important. Just think about like an old school economic, you know, diagram, supply and demand. That's it. You have increasing demand, which are people moving into markets and a, you know, a supply, even if it's steady, increasing demand oversupply, you're going to have increase of prices, like whether it's housing prices or rent prices. So those are a couple of things. And Steve mentioned, thank you for the website mentioned the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the other one. And then city, uh, city hyphen data, I think city data.com is another one too. And net. yeah, there's all these sources that you're, you're not trying to, you want to get independent sources, trusted sources of data so that you don't just have to lean on, you know, the, you know, the offering memorandum that's provided. You can go search that and say, oh yeah, I like this market. I can see growth year over year. So I love that. And then just the question, I really like the fact, you know, hey, can you show me your underwriting? You may not know what the heck it means, but having the ability to like, you know, work with the partner, there's another part here that I think is key too, because, you know, honestly, sometimes I'm so busy Uh, let's say we have a new deal and it comes in, I may not be able to meet with everyone to actually do this. Right. Mm -hmm. But we kind of do a a recorded, you know, walkthrough of a property and kind of explain some of these things. And then that way somebody can see it in advance, but I'd be happy to field a call and, you know, Hey, I saw your recording of your walkthrough and your, you know, your performa says 2% increase. How do you know you can actually get this increase of rents or, you know, those questions where, you're digging in, you're going to learn and you can, you know, talk to some other uh, syndicators or operators or people that are doing deals and you're going to learn a little bit, you know, from everybody else. And uh, yeah, great ways to kind of learn Mm -hmm. on the way through different nuances because they're going to do something different in Atlanta or I do something different in Texas. Another thing you mentioned earlier that I, I wrote down was the operating expense ratio, right? So income over expenses, how much of that is your operating expenses? Well, man, maybe drastically different in the Northeast. If not, I've never done a deal there, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, in general, you, you can probably operate a, pro- a property in most parts of the country, somewhere between you know 40 and 50% of your revenue will be spent mm-hmm. on expenses, right? So it's a 40% expense ratio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but just asking again, I'm looking at your underwriting, uh, Mr. Sponsor, can you show me your expenses? And usually in that spreadsheet, you'll see the expense ratios at the bottom. So you know, what's your expense ratio here total? And if it's like 25 or something, you know something's wrong because nobody's operating property at 25%. Yeah. Uh, so just getting a sense of, you know, are they at least in a reasonable range of 40 to 50%? Got it. And then again, okay. asking a question like that seems a little bit low. Not that I'm an exper- expert because you know, I'm a passive investor, but it seems a little bit low. Can you explain to me why it's so low in this market? Yeah. And again, let them tell you what they know. And, and through that conversation, you're building a relationship, right? The time you invest with that partner, you might ask half as many questions. And the third time, you might just be writing a check. Yeah, yeah. You Once you've established the trust, ready to go. I have some investors the same. Hey, this is kind of like the last one. Yes, okay, let's move forward. And and some that are brand new. And it, you know, we understand it takes a little bit of education and insight and you know, some touch to move forward. So yeah. 
Well, before we go, where can our investors, our listeners, guests, anybody that wants to get into your world, Steve, where should we go reach out to you? Where do we contact you? Best place would be uh, velocitycap.com. So it's short mm -hmm. for Velocity Capital. So you hit Velocity the website, Cap. you can contact me through there. Um, you can check us out and, and see what we're up to. All right. Sounds good. And who do you actually want to reach out to you? Who, who's your ideal you know, person <laughs> to contact you? Uh, you know, anybody who's looking to learn more about multifamily, whether they want to invest or they want to become a more active person in, in the multifamily space. Mm -hmm. um, I do a little bit of mentoring. You can see that on the website as well. But yeah, I'm always happy to talk about real estate in general or uh, multifamily. So please go ahead and reach out. Oh, that's awesome. And before you leave, right, I may have like one or two more minutes here yeah. uh, before I host you or before I take up more time than you've allotted. Can you give us one or two of mine, you know, maybe a mindset, you know, insight, something on your, you know, how to actually move forward? Because you were able to overcome some <clears throat> of those fears, some of those obstacles, whether they would be literal challenges or mental blocks. And just go acquire a ton of freaking commercial real estate, man. And there's so many, there's so few people that can actually act, move forward and go down this journey that you've done, you know, by evidence of the number of investors that are doing what, what you're doing. So if you can share any wisdoms or insights in this area, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, you can't underestimate the, the power of getting some good coaching, but even before that, educating yourself getting yourself to, you don't want to have analysis paralysis, but spending several months where at least a few nights a week or listening to podcasts in the car on the way to work, whatever it is, you can learn a ton about real estate. And then once you get to the point where you're like, okay, I feel like I know 80% of it, mm -hmm. but I just feel like there's some pieces missing. I got to put the pieces of a puzzle together, or I'm a little bit nervous about moving forward. When yeah. you start getting those thoughts, that's when you need a mentor to come give you you know, swift kick in the behind to get moving. Yeah. Um, that's what I did too. I, I really struggled. I spun my wheels for a good six to nine months thinking I knew what I should know, but didn't really feel confident enough to move forward. Yeah. And the mentor was what it took and then got the first deal done and, and learned from that one and then never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep trucking, right? I love the mentor and the coach because, you know, that's somebody to kind of give you that nudge and tell you, hey, you're on the right track, that uncomfortable, uneasy feeling, that's because you're doing something new. It is outside of your comfort zone. That's yes, right. you've never closed a $5 million deal. Your biggest anything has been a couple hundred grand in a single family world or whatever. And it's going to feel this way if you want to you know, have this massive success that you're trying to achieve. You have to keep stretching yourself, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. it, so it's funny you bring that up and, and you know, given where we are, first week or, or whatever, second week of the year. Yeah. So people talk, thinking about goals and what are they going to achieve this year and all that sort of thing. Hopefully you were thinking about that in December preparing yeah. for this year. But yeah. in any event, what you just mentioned is really true about, you know, you set these goals. I'm going to go do X. I'm going to go buy a hundred unit property or even a 10 unit property yeah. or even my yeah. first duplex, whatever that goal is. If you're not scared a little bit, then that goal clearly isn't big enough for you. Like you can yep. definitely do better, right? So if you're not scared, then just go do it because that's going to be nothing. Yeah. If you're a little bit scared, that's a really good thing because that's going to highlight to you or it should, what is it that I'm scared about? Is, is it that I feel I'm not good enough? 
Is it that I don't have the right education in place? Do I not have the right partners? You got to figure out what is it that's making you nervous or scared. That's a sign of, you know, where do you need to now focus? Yeah. Do some work on yourself. Do you need to do some work about, you know, finding the right partners or, or talking to more of your friends and family about being able to invest with you? And maybe you're, you're worried that you're not gonna be able to raise the capital, whatever it is, but go figure that thing out. And then you won't be nearly as nervous and you'll, you will take some more steps forward and you'll become a better person for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Those are great, great insights. And I really appreciate it, Steve. Is there anything else we didn't talk about today that you're hoping I asked, I just didn't, or anything you want to bring some exposure to, or, you know, just anything on it in general? It's funny. The, the only thing that comes to mind is um, say yes more often. And so you know, that applies to real estate. Whenever I look at deals, somebody's like, hey, are you interested? My first response is yes. Yeah, I don't know if I'm interested, but let's talk about it. Yeah. So I'm saying yes to the conversation at a minimum. But I think especially with um, with 2020, everyone being locked down, with COVID and all this nonsense, I think there's going to be a lot more freedom to do things in 2021. Yeah. And you know, make sure that, that we're not sitting here um, feeling like we should just kind of stay in our little bubble. So say yes, get out there, do amazing things, partner with people, you know, learn, take steps to progress in life. Yeah, I love it. Those are those are really awesome, you know, parting words. And I appreciate it, Steve. Yeah, you made me think about I'll share this one since we were talking about, you know, tech and jobs. I so I I worked at a really kick, you know, kicktail company. It was awesome. I loved serving at Rackspace. Back in my day. You know, we went from a hundred million to two billion dollars in the 10 years that I was there. Up until nine and a half years, I really was telling myself, this is the place I'm going to work for the rest of my life. Right. And I gave everything I had to this company, right? As, you know, everything, 26 to 38, I don't know, whatever. So anyways, the, the mindset on this run for me was I never talked to any recruiters that would hit me all over LinkedIn. I had massive successes. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars, just leaps and bounds year over year. And whenever somebody would ping me for a new job or a new opportunity, I would just say, no, no, I'm not interested. Thank you very much and, and move on. Right. And it wasn't until like year nine that I had you know a VP come in and he was from out of, of Rackspace, I think. And somebody just guided me a direction and he goes, you know, you got to be open to doing that. Actually, it was a coach. It was a coach within Rackspace that they they gave us. And, you know, he said, well, man, you, you know, me, I've been here for years also. And he goes, I interview at least once a quarter, if not once, you know, twice a year. I was like, you do? And it was kind of that taboo <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I go, you do? Are you thinking about leaving? He goes, no, not really. But I stay sharp. I figure out what's going on. And we're, you know, I really even interview them. Because I want to know what they're doing. I want to know that role. I want to know what I'm worth. And it was just mm-hmm. that was foreign to me because right. I used to say no to every single opportunity. And you know, and then I had a, the other VP was the one that was would tell me. He goes, "You say no to an offer. You never say no to an opportunity. That's if right. there's an opportunity that comes out, you say yes." I love your thought process to that, Steve, because. You know, I don't know if it could change my life or not. If I say no to that opportunity, I never even had a chance to see an offer. But if I say yes, let's check it out. You know, you know, this could be my key to making the next million bucks or it could be a flop, but you got to say yes. You can always say no. 
after you vet it a little bit more. But I love that mindset, man. That's really good. I started changing towards the end of my careers here. And I said yes to commercial real estate. Well, I said yes to real estate education once, sign up for one program. Then I did another program. I've joined like five or six programs, a couple of masterminds, too many thousands of dollars later, and all the cities of travel later. Every time I said yes to another program or mastermind or group, I've done another deal, which is kind of funny. It kind of matches the number of programs that I'm in. <laughs> and last year I said, I finally got to the point where I said no about eight times to eight different deals. And 2020 was my first time that I'm actually, I said yes so much that now I'm like, okay, I, I gotta, I can't do it all. Uh, right. I said no eight times because yeah. I said yes so many times. Well, you know, and some of that is like momentum too. You say yes enough times, you start building more relationships. Next thing you know, you've got a lot of deal flow or a lot of opportunities coming your way. And then, yeah, then you have to start thinking, wait a second, I can't do everything. You get to choose. Nice to have options because then you get to pick the best of the options. That's right. Say no to the offer. Say yes to the opportunity. Well, man, Steve, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. My name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We've been talking to Steve, just an amazing conversation. If you guys appreciate something that he said, please go reach out to him. He'd love to talk to you. And then uh, go to our podcast as well. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a written review. We'd appreciate it. Put some notes here on this Facebook Live if you've been watching. And thank you very much again, Steve. Appreciate it, brother. Great conversation. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast, give us a five-star rating, and most importantly, leave us a written review. Tell us what you liked, tell us your favorite guests, give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.